Welcome back, gang. This is the Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast presented by Gunblade Guys. We are your hosts, Tyler and Nate. I'm Tyler. I'm Nate, and wow, that's a lot of energy coming from you today. You're damn right, Nate. This is our 50th episode. Oh my god. Did you think we were going to get this far? I had my inklings, and then I nearly died from being sick for six months, and I thought, absolutely not. But we're here, so I'm happy. I'm happy we're here, too. And we're going to do another 50, probably. Probably. Oh, oh God. Nate, yeah, Nate's still in contracting for that. I'm working on AI Nate to take over so that you can just type what he's going to say and it's going to sound exactly like me. I'm creating a whole AI profile for you. Smart idea. You'll never know that I stopped. Let's get that AI in the editing room too. In all seriousness, I believe that's going to be possible in two years. Hey, audio GPT, can you just cut all the breaths out of this episode? And it's like, sure, I just did it. Boom. Done. Anyways, this is season two. We're covering Final Fantasy VII Remake and its equivalent content in the original release. Today we're going to wrap up chapter four and we're going to try to get through chapter five. Oh, we're going to do it. How are we doing? I'm doing all right. I spent a sizable chunk of my day fighting my stupid ass stream settings program OBS. And it turns out it wasn't OBS at all. I was playing with settings, reading forums, doing guides. I was having an issue where I would constantly get messages of frames missed due to rendering lag. Why do I have rendering lag? I just spent thousands on a state-of-the-art PC. Why can't it can't handle basic functions? And it turns out had nothing to do with OBS, had nothing to do with the game I was playing, the resolutions, the bit rates, any of that stuff. Windows has this cool little setting called hardware accelerated performance and under the description of that it says uses additional hardware resources to increase performance and smooth out issues right so you would think i I check that box that makes things better no it makes things worse (laughs) to check that box because windows is made by dum-dums glad you got over that hump yeah I turned that off and really it makes sense because you know what? I have a NVIDIA RTX 4090 jammed right up the ass of Final (laughs) Fantasy VII Remake. I don't need any acceleration. This guy has all the acceleration I'll ever need. So get out of here, Windows. We're doing it ourselves. Nice, Nate. Nice, Nate. In my case, Ella's birthday party got rained out, so we had everybody inside. I grilled brats in the rain very dad-tastic of me. Were you wearing cargo shorts? I was wearing a a rain-repellent jacket, I can tell you that. Yeah, it was a good time. Her smash cake was uh, very delicate. She's she's using her thumb and forefinger to kind of pick that little frosting. It wasn't, she didn't smash it, she uh, she delicately brushed it. The Cure concert was great. A lot of deep cuts. Uh, after about the sixth deep cut, and in the in the two-hour, 45-minute set, 29 songs, it was, uh, I was, I thought, damn, this, this is a, this is a two or four, like, fans and so i was actually quite pleased mm-hmm. that we had some uh some songs you probably don't expect to hear uh anyways that was a really good time what else can i tell you i got tds fiber now <laughs> so that's pretty cool i feel like there's another thing i want to say oh my god nate there's so much going on in the world of like final fantasy and like video games lately since the last episode that we recorded there was a three minute long final fantasy 7 rebirth trailer that came out of course rebirth is the sequel to remake which we're covering this season there was an ever crisis trailer final fantasy 16 comes out tomorrow 
and then a, a Nintendo Direct also came out. My goodness, they came... I mean, I'm not going to go over all the hits, but in the Nintendo Direct, we heard about Palia, which is the former World of Warcraft team members' new company, which is going to be a, a casual, feels like a dirty word. It's a, it's a comfort farming lifestyle, maybe a little bit of combat fantasy game. Persona 5 Tactics spinoff, <clears throat> a Saturday morning cartoon roguelike called Myth Force. I think that's what it was. Super Mario RPG Remake. I'm pretty pumped about that. Nate, how do you feel about that? I loved the original. It's a, it's one of those games that just, it's not terribly complex, but so well balanced and so well paced that you're just weaving in between set piece and fighting and growing characters and earning something and getting something new every moment that it is one of the quintessential like perfect turn-based rpgs because it just feels good at every turn there's there's no rough I don't know. Somebody might disagree heavily with the statement, but I feel there's no rough edges with that game whatsoever. It's like a perfect entry game to turn-based RPGs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's fun. It's hilarious. You know, very vibrant settings. Lots of mini games. I remember. Gosh, there's like there's got to be like thirty or forty different kinds of mini games with lots of different manners of gameplay that you interact with from the from the Yoshi racing to the minecart driving to the to the to the racing up the hill, bopping people following you, to the waterfall and river thing, to the tadpole music, to the mole bopping, or mm -hmm. yeah, you know what I mean. Do you remember Marymore, that one wedding city where if you don't have enough money to stay at the inn, they make you like wash dishes or like be a luggage porter yes. to pay off your debt? Isn't that hilarious? That's the first time I've ever saw that in a game. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I loved Mallow as a little kid. Mm. Um, I he was so cute. I drew pictures of him and thought he was great so yeah i'm excited now i didn't see the direct firsthand i only saw like bullet points do you know is square enix involved or is it just nintendo taking the reins on this uh, i don't know that but i do know that um square enix was the original developer in partnership with nintendo for the original release square soft square soft excuse me get those enix a-holes out of here hey they did L illusion of gaia and all those other games i know i'm i'm kidding enix is great actually terranigma rules <laughs> dragon quest yeah dragon quest batman arkham asylum trilogy metal gear solid master collection one two three and the nes versions a couple graphic novels and more in one package that's pretty cool too that game i'll just put it out there i'm a, I'm a metal gear fanboy it's goofy it's crazy it's it's everything it is a package that will keep you entertained for hours but once you get through like the story and the the experience of playing the metal gear games i see those as infinitely replayable metal gear solid one if you're up for just skipping cutscenes and just slamming the game it's like playing mega man x you can just sit down and pound it out in a couple hours and it's just such a satisfying experience toying with the world you're in and then mgs3 is kind of that but turned up to 11. It is the ultimate replayable experimental world. It's obviously nothing like Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom, but it's the first kind of game that I felt like that, where it's like, you can do this? Oh my God, you can do that? Oh shit, you know, like just experimenting with what you're capable of is amazing. Last thing I'll say about the Direct is the Star Ocean 2, a second story remake coming out. This gives me a lot of hope for other PlayStation 1 RPG remakes, looking at you, Xenogears, uh, because, well, Star Ocean 2 is, I think, a fantastic PlayStation 1 RPG. 
It was the first game I've ever played that had a, an item creation system. The pixel art's really great, the environment's really great, the story's pretty cool. And I think that bodes very well for people like you and I who think Xenogears should come back into the spotlight in this era of retro remakes because I'm not convinced that Star Ocean 2 sold as well as Xenogears did or even has the pop culture legacy that Xenogears has. So all those factors in place, you got me thinking that it's gotta happen. It's gotta be coming. If they can do it for Star Ocean 2, they can do it for Xenogears. Let's bring Id and Groff and Faye and Saitan and all those guys back. Come on, man. Let's do this. Set up a multi-company retreat for the Monolith Boys, the Square Boys, anyone else you'd need permission to. Have them all go to Karuizawa in Japan and hang out at some hot springs, go on some hikes, just live the dream together. Let any bad blood melt away, shake some hands, and then... Everyone get together and remake fucking Xenogears. It's time. It's time. It's time, guys. It's time. We're running long here on our intro, but I, I think, you know, like you said, there's a lot coming down the pipe. I'm picking up Final Fantasy 16 tomorrow. I have played the demo. We've got footage of it on our YouTube, Gunblade guys. I was completely blown away. Watching people just engage gameplay, it looks like a Final Fantasy reskin of Devil May Cry, and you think, oh, that looks interesting, that might be fun. But, you know, I've played Devil May Cry. There's nothing like, <laughs> after you've played four or five of them, you're like, all right, I know what that's about. But getting your hands into 16 and feeling it out and then experiencing the story in tandem with that, the music and everything, it's like, I always liked the combat of those Devil May Cry games, but I was never into the listening to like butt rock and quippy, like silver haired weirdos. <laughs> like some people love that stuff. I was kind of over it after the first game. Like I had fun there, but repackaging all of that into like this Game of Thrones, high fantasy European epic with an incredible soundtrack, incredible voice acting, and just the story and themes. I was like, I didn't know I wanted this this hard. I was completely blown away by that demo. And so I'm picking up the special edition steelbook tomorrow. I want a physical souvenir of this game. <laughs> I No downloads on this one. I want to have this as an object that remains forever in my life outside of when the internet has faded away and society has crumbled. I'm going to have that steelbook uh, in my blast shelter with me <laughs> simply because of how good that demo was. And uh, so I'm excited for that. And then also, yes, the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth trailer. It's got some crazy tidbits in there that if we were to address them here, it's going to be spoilers. If we did want to address it, we'd have to make a special spoilers accepted episode to be honest because there's a lot in that trailer yeah but what i will say one little point in there is i was looking at it there, well actually there's two points that i found so fascinating by that trailer was there was an objective on the map that was 11 kilometers away and that might seem like okay you know that's 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 a pretty good big distance the entire map of Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom is 10 by 10 kilometers. So this game is big, at least to whatever degree that it's probably going to be more, more linear experience 
than an open world game. So it's going to be more restrictive. It's not going to be as much broad space, but from the point A to point B, there's going to be a lot to see and a lot to do. And that kind of blew me away. And then the second thing is we've seen six active party members at this point in the trailer. So we have the core party we've all met in our playthrough and then two more people that we haven't been introduced into yet by remake. And we'll keep that secret for now. But when you're running around in your core party of three in the background, the members who aren't in your core party are hovering around, shooting at things, doing their own thing. So it made me wonder, is this like Final Fantasy 12 or others that let you hot swap characters in on the fly? Like, oh, my, my party build, this is not a good build for this battle. Well, I'll just grab Barrett. I'll swap in Barrett and he's he's got some tankiness. He can tank for me, you know? I'm optimistic. That is not confirmed, but my head was like swimming with the idea that could we have all six people available at any time? And you're just like, you have access to three of them for your like live abilities, but you have access to all six for swapping in and out. That would be pretty amazing. But even just the presentation of that, of like seeing your other characters you're not using in the field, being aware that like we are traveling as a unit is super cool. And it's like, this is where the technology has brought us. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, One of my takeaways of that is, isn't so much about the trailer, but I learned that Rebirth is going to be a two disc game, which kind of blows me backwards towards the late 90s when in the PlayStation 1 era, we had multi-disc games, and that seems to maybe be coming back with this, with the scope of Rebirth. And it's interesting to me because if, Nate, if you and I look back from the beginning of, like, all video gaming, let's say the 80s, to now, multi-disc games are a very small phenomenon in the history of the art form, let's call it. Mm-hmm. But you and I cut our teeth in that small space and when you got a multi-disc game you came in a fatter jewel disc case and you went oh damn this is gonna be a hell of an adventure three discs final fantasy 7 two discs this one four discs final fantasy 8 and 9 i don't know well i guess you might say that even remake had was a double disc game although one was a game disc and one was a was a base file disc yeah that's an important thing to point out is remake itself on ps4 was a multi-disc game because you had the data disc and then you had the gameplay disc Mm -hmm. the main one and so it was a two disc game before i think they're especially highlighting this now of like it's not just that there's like a data disc it's like we've maxed out both of these like you're gonna need to actually have both of these in the system you're gonna need to do a swap like the old days it's almost like a flex of remember when like you said remember when you saw that extra disc and you're like whoa this is big like they're taking you back to that feeling because if it was just like yes we have a main disc and a data disc that's not the flex we already know about that we've had plenty of games red dead i think has that as well you know that's not the flex i think the flex is remember when these games were so big that you couldn't even comprehend how much game you had in front of you we're getting back to that place and so yeah that's i think that's where they're going with it is even if the logistics are a little wonky they want you to anticipate that this might be the biggest thing that you've you've ever seen well uh yeah so lots of exciting stuff coming should we start 
talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake. Right, so at the end of the last episode, we visited Jesse after we parachuted back down to the slums, and now we are going back to Stargazer Heights to go back to bed. We get into our apartment, we're about to rest. Tifa walks in and asks if Cloud was, you know, where Cloud was, and he says, I went out on a walk. Not a very good off-the-cuff excuse if you ask me. I wouldn't be convinced if someone just said I was out walking for all night long, because he wasn't out for like a 45-minute walk. He was out for hours. Doesn't matter. And I don't think that Tifa's keeping a, a short leash on him anyways. But anyways, she asks Cloud if he's meaning to split from Midgar sooner than later because of the chilly reception that he got from Barrett last time we, last time they were all, all together at the Seventh Heaven Bar. And Cloud references the promise conversation back in the Nilaim flashback. She acknowledges that this isn't exactly what she had in mind in terms of, you know, saving me if I'm ever in trouble. And I think we all agree with that, too. Well, it's interesting because in OG, when you approach this proposition of the promise now being in play, Tifa was the one who initiated that. Cloud is like, you know, hey, I might split. And Tifa's like, are you just going to forget about the, the promise he made me? Mm. And then you do the little flashback and she's leaning on him of like, Cloud, I need you here. Like. I'm I'm pulling on this thread to kind of guilt you into helping. And uh, that's the opposite here. She's like, oh, that's not what I had in mind. But, you know, all right, <laughs> in a way. And we saw in that last chapter, it was Cloud looking at the fan in the Shinra base that he was reminded of the promise. And so it's kind of all in this fluid experience of him seeing the stress that Jesse's under and her dad and kind of helping people in the slums seeing bigs and wedges dedication and and them knowing everything that's going on and this connection they have like i said the three cats moving as one and the the one black cat set apart longing to go at the as the others but not really going through on that i feel like cloud kind of crossed that threshold of like the promise is almost an excuse of him to still be playing it cool like yeah i'm a man of honor i'm gonna stick to my word but really what he wants is like he's longing for that connection he's seeing what everybody else has and what's missing from his life and like he's pulling on the threads now he's the one that's in a bind in a way and this works on tifa she's pleased that he's expressed this sort of emotional intelligence to her it I'm not going to say he charms her, because that sounds like he's being disingenuous. I think he's being genuine, and the effect is quite positive on Tifa. She leaves and says, it's really great to have you back, and that all kind of wraps up. So we go to bed, and in the middle of the night, or maybe it's early morning, because we cut back to the morning quite quickly, these strange dusty ghosts, as I've described them before, enter the room through the floor, and one kind of hovers above Cloud's face, like, well, in his personal space, he's asleep in this moment. But it is, like, nightmarish how this repulsive creature, he, it looks like a, like a specter of death, is hovering over him. And it speaks, Nate. It says, sleep, dream sweetest dreams. Sleep and dream sweetest dreams. Yeah, I have to say these have to be inspired by Dementors. They they like hover and like waft this energy, this distortion, like almost like they are when they're looking at Cloud, like they're absorbing his thoughts or what's going through his head while he's sleeping. 
in a way that that's kind of the impression I got of like they're analyzing what's going through that head of yours cloud. Yeah, they look like them. They behave like them. Yeah. Cloud's eyes flash open and they're all gone. And he reaches for his buster sword and then Tifa busts into the room. There's a swarm of these ghosts, like the ones in the room. They have descended upon the slums. There's hundreds of them. And she says, hey, we need some help. Like, wake up. We There's an emergency. We need you. <laughs> we cut to Barrett and Jesse shooting at them. They kind of look like they're defending the swarm from Seventh Heaven. Yeah, there's this weird, like high contrast blue filter on the screen that is supposed to suggest that it's like early morning at sunrise but i've never seen this happen to me in real life where early morning looks this like bland and desaturating i don't know how to explain it but it's like uh it seems like a a way for them to quickly generate this effect because like nighttime and daytime look great in the Sector 7 slums, the way the lighting goes through the plates and hits the buildings and everything. And this was like, wait, what am I looking at? It's almost like it was a dream sequence in and of itself that I was processing at first. Yeah. But then I was like, I didn't know if this was real when it first hit. And then after a few moments of kind of working through the events and doing everything, I'm like, okay, this is actually happening. This isn't like some nightmare scene or something while clouds sleep. Well, Nate, I think that it's maybe part that it's in the morning, but also that this swarm of ghosts is casting a pall over the slums. And so sure, it might be, might have that blue hue, but it might have this decayed gray overlay on it as well to help give you the feel that we're under attack by this force from beyond Mm. yeah that makes sense so we're in a high tension sequence where we're racing from stargazer heights to seventh heaven we pause to fight some of these ghosts um there's sometimes you fight three or four maybe even five of them at a time if you cast Assess on them, you learn that their name is Mysterious Spectre, and the tooltip tells you that they are strong to physical attacks, so emphasize magic. Of course, I've got Cloud on all non-magic materia, and so I defer to Tifa, who was my spellcaster in the previous chapter, and, and she was the one whooping a lot of ass. So we get into a couple of these fights, and we're passing through the slums as we're going, but as we're going, we're noticing that some of the alleys and left and right turns are walled off by a cascade of these specters in perpetual motion. It is a physical barrier, and that's quite unusual. Bookmark that in your brain for later. Eventually, we will battle our way to Seventh Heaven, and then we undergo a... Nate, would you call this a boss battle, or is this an elite battle? Boss battles, you get that kind of like... uh triumphant swell of the music finishing and then like oh yeah you get some sort of special item you acquired from it now that might actually happen in this but i don't recall it like it didn't feel like the triumphant moment that you know after at the end of this recording today we will have one of those for sure so this didn't strike me as boss like this high tension sequence completes with a with an elite battle this is an enigmatic specter and when you cast assess on him, you learn that the stagger gauge fills more quickly after it has been interrupted. But it seems to me that in order to make the enigmatic specter vulnerable, we must kill the other normal specters first. Nate, was that the sense that you got? Because it isn't very obvious to me how you make him vulnerable. The assess material says vulnerable, but does not explain what it takes to render it vulnerable. Yeah, I think in this case, it was one of those things where I just kind of lucked out where I was accidentally always doing the right thing. 
of attacking the the thing that needed to die on my first playthrough and then when i got into hard mode i realized oh there's actual mechanics into this fight so that was where i learned yeah, you got to kill the the small specters to weaken the defense of the big one. The game doesn't hold your hand in the mechanics of this fight in ways that it does hold your hand in previous fights. You've got to kind of use your um, powers of deduction to see what it takes to produce that vulnerability window. So we beat that boss, but there's kind of a... There's like an element of diversion going on here because as we're fighting them, we're kind of like quarantined off from helping the rest of the party fighting their battles. You know, the those ghoulish walls that were keeping us from taking certain pathways through the slums are also kind of boxing us in during this battle. We can't go over to Barrett per se. And so while we're fighting, it, it concludes with a cutscene that shows Spectre's kind of coalescing and targeting Jesse. And they they don't like materialize into a solid object. They're kind of slamming into her in their immaterial weight. It's hard to explain. It's almost like getting hit with a Hadoken from Street Fighter. Like it hits you <laughs> But there's nothing there after it hits you. And it's not like fire. It's not like you're set on fire or you're burning. It's like a gust of impact on you. So that's kind of the ghost slam into her maybe two or three times. Uh, She drops her gun. She's knocked down the, the bar steps. And then everything just ends. The specters flee they they dissipate they waft off i don't know how you'd explain it but uh we we can tell that jesse was hurt by the attack and everybody kind of coalesces around her and cloud's the one who picks her up and carries her into the bar and um it's interesting that she even says it seems like they were after me the whole time like like she was having to fight them off more than anyone else so that's a Interesting little detail there. Jesse is not fit for the mission to blow up the Sector 5 reactor. She says she still wants to go, but the others won't let her for sure. Sure, that's right. Wedge volunteers and then he goes into a coughing fit. I'm sensing a continuity error here because the reason he gets rejected is because he's caught a cold when they really could have him like rubbing his ass and being like oh my god man I, i'd really like to go but ooh, it's still fucking smart yeah uh missed opportunity for another ass gag yeah or uh like uh, another smack on the ass from jesse to be like like he's like i'll go and jesse could be like we'll see about that and then <laughs> and, ah, and then she could drop a quip of like yeah you're in wonderful shape wedge you're right it is a missed opportunity because it's like a it's just comic relief that doesn't land because it just makes him look pathetic and it's like well we know wedge isn't pathetic he's just he's uh i don't know how you explain it he, He's capable, but he gets he gets there in a different route than anyone else would. Yeah, he doesn't embody the spirit of the hero. Yeah, he bumbles his way to the same successes that any other soldier would. Mm-hmm. So Right. So, Barrett reluctantly rehires Cloud, tosses him 50 gil for the trouble and says... 500. What did I say? You said 50. No, it's 500. Thank you. And he says, I'm counting on you, soldier. And then Tifa flees the bar. I think the circumstances are changing such that Cloud is maybe not going to be able to fulfill the promise he floated out to Tifa 
the night prior. It's it's interesting the dynamic of as soon as Barrett, like he was so ready to ditch Cloud because he's not a true believer and he's got his core team. And once he sees that, he doesn't have all the, the people he needs to get the job done. Cloud should have been like, call Roche. Roche will do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's interesting because like the, the conversation, even the delivery of it, Barrett's like, so here's the thing. And Cloud's like, I'm going to need a raise. It's subtle, but it's like Cloud already knew what Barrett was going to say before he even got into the discussion of like mm-hmm. Cloud knows he can ask for a raise because he sees the desperation on Barrett's face. And so, again, there's there's so many good things in with the presentation value they're capable of of showing these characters of like that expression on his face it shows that barrett's hard exterior is already melting of like oh i need help this is terrible you're absolutely right and you can say the same thing about the hard exterior of cloud melting too because well as we just discovered in the previous scene with tifa in the apartment he's looking for belonging and a place and understanding as well and so that's kind of why he might join the mission however a hero like himself has self-respect and so he's going to need a raise and so he's buoying these two forces that are pulling on him from the inside learning to be compassionate and presenting as a hero like Heath Ledger's Joker says if you're good at something never do it for free if you're good at something never do it for free the gang joins up again at the train station because we're going to take the train to Sector 5 or at least that's the plan you have an opportunity to mill about in Sector 7 for a while but I go straight to the train station oh hold on there is one thing actually I did find one thing I failed to mention that there's this character named Katie in the Sector 7 slums and she has a funny like utilitarian function to the game like a gameplay function for the game and she what she does is she tallies up your total numbers of monsters slain and presents them on this big marquee that she stands in front of and in this moment i have slain 51 monsters i don't know if it's monsters and shinra forces do we qualify belligerent humans as monsters in this tally (laughs) i guess so but anyways my number is 51 and she gives you rewards for meeting certain goals and at 51 i earned revival earrings and an mp up materia mp up increases your um your base magic by a certain percentage as the material levels and revival earrings is an accessory that you can grant to a wearer that will auto life someone if they die in battle and then it breaks so you might lose it if you use it well you will (laughs) you will lose it if you use it but you might equip them on it for a particular desperate uh, encounter and they're not that expensive too i think i saw them at a vending machine later in this chapter for 500 gil Getting back to the train station. Uh, When you're there, Barrett is out on the train platform. He's gassing us up. He's got some more elucidating to do. And he speaks in these um, vagaries that I find kind of confusing. I'm going to kind of run them by you one at a time here. First thing, a lot of people risked their lives to get this thing rolling. A lot of people risked their lives to get it rolling. And I don't know what we mean by this thing. Is it the mission? If so, what people are we talking about? Are they other avalanche members? And, and is this thing the, the present mission or is it the whole avalanche ideation in the first place? And then he says, already put the word out, more is coming too. Already put the word out, more is coming too. More of what? More missions? Who did you put the word outs to? Was it to Shinra? Does Shinra know we're coming for another reactor? My God, Barrett, if you're a guerrilla, pri- you know, secret army, you lean on the element of surprise to 
do your terrorist bombings. If you're expressing that you're going to be doing this to the uh, to the enemy, they're going to be they're going to try to be ready. They're going to beef up security. They're going to try to stop you before you even get into the reactor. And it just that just doesn't really seem like a smart idea here. Next thing he says, shut them all down by today or we'll shut another down for you. Shut them all down by today or we shut another down for you. We're blackmailing Shinra into hard stopping all Mako production. I don't think that's going to happen, man. And then the last thing, it ain't on us. Not us. Ain't on us. Not us. Meaning, it's not our fault we're doing this. They're forcing our hand. We are compelled to do this bombing because they won't completely abandon the the base money-making operation that the world's largest and most wealthy organization has earned their <laughs> their riches on. Barrett's head is up his ass, and I'm not impressed by anything he's saying in this conversation. All of those vagaries you mentioned kind of reminds me of something we were talking about earlier of just the Japanese language in general of where an action is stated, but the subject isn't in the statement. Like um, we talked about Cloud's phrase, not interested, right? Kiyomine. Yeah, like the actual literal translation is he's saying it's not interesting and there isn't a subject. He's not saying I'm not interested. Or he's not saying you're not interested. It's just in general. It's this like truth. This thing is not interesting. It kind of reminds me of how Japanese language is delivered. You need context. It's interesting that, uh, like you said, Barrett's threatening Shinra. Shut down all macro production. We're, we're blackmailing you. And it's like, yeah, you, you could get Shinra to do that. But do you know who's going to revolt against you? The people. Because if we've learned anything about, I don't know, our country being asked to shut down operations for the good of uh, the well-being of all, you've seen how well that went, right? <laughs> and uh, I think that it's uh, Shinra is not your enemy here, Barrett. I mean, yes, they are literally your enemy. But you take out Shinra, you take out all the reactors. The next person that's going to be knocking down your door is Tim with his uh, <laughs> lawn care business. Well, I guess you don't do lawn care because all the lawns are dead. Tim, the Shinra middle manager. He's going to be busting your door down with a flamethrower saying, turn the Mako back on or I'll fry your ass, Barrett. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you've got a whole nother problem once this thing is finished. Mm-hmm. Then lastly, to, to round this whole thing out, uh, Barrett says, ain't no stopping this train we're on. And that is a, that is squishing in its finest because that sentiment of his is a sentiment he arrives at after much trial and tribulation in OG Final Fantasy VII. That is his like capstone of his character. What he arrives at is no matter what the struggles he's faced, the hardships, the, the things he and his friends have gone through, they're now in it. And there's no changing the trajectory they're on, despite all of the struggles they went through. It is delivered deep into the original game. And for him to give that line here, it's a hard squishing moment for me. <laughs> I don't know if you, you pulled that or felt that way at all, but... Not exactly, but I am getting a sense of Barrett's hubris being much more on display in 
remake than it was in the original. I have a feeling that Barrett, like before a mission begins, he goes in the bathroom of Sector 7 and does a whip it or he uh, cuts a line of coke on the <laughs> bathroom counter. And then he starts making foolish decisions, like making public announcements that we're going to go bomb the next reactor. He's a Mako junkie. This could be a character flaw. I think he's got a hubris thing going on where the inertia of the mission is maybe a little too much for him and he's going to spoil the mission before it even starts. Good luck telling him that, by the way. I have two quick little pulls from OG on the way to the the train station. Yeah, yeah, because this is when OG comes in. So... On the way to the train in OG, uh, your two little Shinra soldiers, the one, the good cop, bad cop that are standing outside that gate. Oh, yeah. Good cop says, I got tickets to Loveless. You want to go? The bad cop says, what are you? (laughs) And uh, (laughs) follows up with Midgar's under martial law now. He continues that the enemy could be anywhere. But uh, Good Cop says, don't you worry. Soldier has been added to the police force. All right. And that's a detail I didn't really think of or I didn't remember from when I played the game as a kid. It's like the city is under martial law. It's not just freewheel and midgar anymore. We don't really get to see any of that in action, but you can kind of picture that people are like boarded up in their homes and soldier members are walking the streets looking for avalanche members out and about and with that added context that we got last chapter in remake of the scope of what avalanche is that's kind of a whole interesting chapter that they could have put in the game that we don't see in either version of like the the shinra avalanche um back and forth on the streets of Midgar under martial law. I'd be interested in seeing something like that. Yeah, I, I would too. And then also under the under a lamp on the train platform, we, we had the two lovers that were saying uh, like vague word salad of potentially hooking up in original. Now we have them saying, I've had it. The other lover replies, me too. Then the other one says, this is the first time we've ever agreed on something. Yes. Shall we? They both fall to the ground in unison and like lay there. (laughs) And I'm wondering, did they just commit like ritual suicide over the the state of fear within Midgar? Um, But when you click on them, you just get a dialogue box that says huff wheeze. So I guess they're not dead, but I have absolutely no clue what the hell happened. between these two people maybe they're getting into a uh, a stupor to to weather the future state of terror that they suspect they'll be in yeah and they're both uh like in remake they're they kind of both have like respectable modern outfits but in og these people are definitely punks this girl is like a 80s girl boss punk rocker and the guy has spiked hair a black wife beater and cool guy glasses on and probably some like military cargo pants and so they both look like total badasses and no g so they're they're probably into some shit there's no pump up chat that barrett does before the train he's already on the train when cloud arrives at the platform it's just team red bandana awaiting us jesse's present for the mission in original by the way Mm mm-hmm once we're in, Barrett tells everyone to spread out. And then a guy in red says, and I think we referenced this in, in the episode where we did chapter two, guy in red says, hoodlums again. God, don't I just have all the luck. And then I think it's another NPC that says, you've seen the news, right? Avalanche says there will be more bombings. And it's here in 
original where I realized that advance notice of the next bombing mission is in the public knowledge. And I did not realize that until replaying it just now. That's also in the TV in OG when you go into the basement. The basement we were denied in remake. Oh, that's true. Yes. When you go to the basement, there's a TV that says Avalanche is taking credit for the bombing. We talked about that. But then uh, there's threats of more bombs to come. Mm-hmm. That uh, once that guy drops his line of calling Barrett a hoodlum, I don't know if that would fly today. <laughs> Big African-American arrives on a train and he gets called out as a hoodlum immediately by a white dude in a suit. Um, Barrett runs up. And then looks back and said, uh, you say something? And and I can kind of read, now that I have Barrett's voice actor and delivery and like his energy from Remake, I can kind of go back and read OG's lines with that delivery in mind. And it feels <laughs> great. And uh, the worker actually speaks up and it's like, uh, the train's empty because a guy's like you. And Barrett just swings his arm. You hear this. Whoosh, and like the guy jumps in his seat. Or he's hit. I can't tell. It's a big smack sound. And I don't know, did Barrett punch the guy? Or did he like slam the pole in protest like an intimidation? I think he slammed the pole to intimidate him. Okay. Hmm. I was leaning that way myself too. I, I think it could be a little bit like he'd be knocked out if a man like Barrett just slugged you. He's going to give himself away. The hubris. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, Tifa interrupts them. But only after the guy uh, hollers, I won't give in to violence, which is very similar to what the Shinra middle manager says in Remake. We will not submit to intimidation or violence. Swapping back to Remake, he's back again. And you called this out a few episodes ago. I failed to remember that Shinra middle manager, that's the name of this NPC, returns. We we catch him on the train again. Now, Now, I did remember that Barrett had another conversation with another person on a train in this train adventure. But I didn't recall that it was the same guy, and so they do have a have a so they do have a follow up conversation, and it is another difference of opinion about the state of Midgar and Shinra and Avalanche. And but this guy, he is not intimidated by Barrett. He st- he chews him out. He stands up to him and says, "There's chaos going on within Shinra," and he's kind of provoking a reaction out of him that might spoil the mission. Maybe I'm really hung up on Barrett spoiling the mission, like feel like I keep coming back to that. Anyways, we don't know how Barrett will react. Cloud stops him, and then finally Barrett relents. So it's Cloud that stops Barrett in Remake, Tifa that stops Barrett in Original. I forget the exact line, but essentially the the manager's saying, like, you got a problem or something? And uh, Barrett's ready to say, like, yeah, he's ready to, like, pop off on him, and Cloud's the one that says, nah, Shinra no middle manager's like, peace out. You say something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it, it's a it's a role reversal yeah, a little bit yeah. but yeah I, I can see where y- it didn't really register as the same guy in the original because you have tons of these uh, red suited dudes just running around in final fantasy 7 they all look exactly the same but in remake it's very intentional same voice actor same uh obviously the face but you also get a couple more moments with him in the sector seven slums as we i think we talked about this in previous episodes where you can see him kind of talking to his wife and like oh i love shinra we're so great and so they've intentionally turned this guy into like a, a staple character in remake it's good i think it's a good use of him when baird relents he spreads out on a on a train bench and he sings the og battle victory theme and him but in a mocking sort of way kind of mocking clouds moral high ground you know you're better than that 
And I wonder, is there an in-world context of what that victory theme means? Or is this like a Barrett, just he's the only one that knows <laughs> what that is? Interesting. Well, let's use, let's use our earth, let's use our culture as a, an analog of that, an example of that. So is there a, is there a melody in the collective mind of, let's just say Americans that kind of, we all acknowledge as a sort of victory i i don't i can't think of one there's got to be one the only thing that really comes to mind is uh queen we are the champions mm. right but that's more of a song that's like a you gotta you gotta play it you imitating it really doesn't cut it uh you know i think like i can't hum yeah yeah it doesn't work as me just humming it yeah you're right you wouldn't hum it you would sing the words but even so i think i think the example fits sure so maybe there's a band like Queen in the Final Fantasy VII verse that has a song that has the da 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 Oh shit! Nate, there might be a CD pickup in this game that has that song in it. Mm. Ooh, yeah. maybe, maybe. We'll find out. The other one I have is the uh, McDonald's I'm Loving It jingle. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hum that all the time. <laughs> I still just... You too? Oh yeah! Oh my god, man! I uh, you know I'll like slam dunk something in uh, World of Warcraft or Street Fighter, and I'll just be like ba da ba ba ba. <laughs> but I've changed it to uh, I say I'm fucking it mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of I'm loving it. But you know that's just me. That's how I roll. Yeah. So um, let's we're just gonna power through OG here. The rest of this segment, all of the relevant content we have for this chapter. We got the, the Shinra manager shaking in his boots and the gang discusses the plan. There's a new fandangled Shinra checkpoint that's going to blow their fake IDs off the... <laughs> I don't know how to say it. It's going to wreck their fake IDs, right? So they got to get off the train before they hit that checkpoint. And so they plan within the next three minutes... They're going to jump off the train. They're they're doing this on purpose. And uh, so keep that in mind when we hit remakes version of events. They already know that their IDs are going to fail. But the problem is, is the checkpoint hits them sooner than they thought. Jesse immediately busts in and she says, I don't have to ex- time to explain. She knows what went wrong, but she doesn't have time. And they have essentially 15 seconds to get off the train cars or like 15 seconds on each train car before they are locked, like progressively locked down. And so you got to rush off there. Now you would think just run to the exit, but there's some nice little goodies to acquire on each train car, some little moments to experience. Uh, So you can either choose to do that or you can just run. Meanwhile, while you're doing this, the screen is flashing red. There's an alarm ringing out. Uh, it It can also, there's like a, after the flash, it goes dark for a second. So there's a strobe effect going on that's increasing the tension, giving you a little bit of anxiety. Um, pumping music is playing. The like quintessential OG Final Fantasy oh shit music is throbbing in the background. So did you uh, poke around it or did you just run? What did you? How did you handle this? I wondered what the fail state scenario looked like for this because it's so easy to just 
pull the control stick and you on your controller in one direction and, and go from car to car but I, I crossed the first car into the second car talked to everyone in the 15 seconds that I had to do and the guy at the end had a couple more things to say. I don't even remember what it was, but he does give me a potion. And then I kind of waited the last few seconds. And then what happens is the rest of the gang, Barrett and Tifa, return to the car that I'm trapped in because they were smart enough to keep moving because I dragged my feet on it on purpose. And then we all jump out of that car. And so I, but I expect that as you progressively go down the train that you'll just, well, Nate, can you tell me, like you said that there are little goodies in each car. I have no awareness of that. Sure. Well, that first guy that you went back and talked to, there's a little bit of like a translation goofiness here that we can elaborate mm -hmm. on is this guy's like, oh, you came to my house. <laughs> and what he's essentially saying is this is a homeless man who sleeps on the subway every day. And he's flattered that you took time out of your emergency state to come visit him and care about him to see if he's okay. So that's why he gives you the item. That's not immediately clear in the uh, English translation, but that's the spirit of what he's saying is like, even now you'd come to see if I was okay here, take this. I don't worry about me. I this I, essentially because he lives on the train, he sees this kind of thing every day. <laughs> so, hmm. but, um, so I rush to the next car on the next car. There's some kids kind of like ooing and eyeing with all the lights flashing, wondering like, this is action for them. They're wondering if something spectacular is going to happen. Not is the train car going to explode and we all die. They're like excited about this. Uh, a couple of other random NPCs. And then a man at the end that will give you an item. If you take the time to talk him i don't really recall his dialogue i also don't have the items listed down because you are in a bit of a rush here so i'm just smashing buttons to get through it in time probably potions phoenix downs high potions there's nothing i recall of terrible importance on this segment third train car there will be a man who kind of bumps into you um it'll it'll stop you in your tracks for a second and you can just keep running but you'll hear a little jingle a ding sound like a, a pick up an item sound but it's when the man bumps into you so he has robbed you and you don't even know it if you like go and talk to him he'll say something like like huh and you have the chance to answer him with uh i forget the first option but the correct option is you just saying that's right and it's uh, basically you found him out that he robbed from you and so he'll give you your item back if you uh actually take the time to talk to him in that same train car along the back wall is Johnny losing his shit. <laughs> he is scared out of his mind. And I don't know if it's because he thinks maybe he tripped the alarm, but uh, he's like, he's on his knees on the seat and like waving his arms around in the air. And it's pretty funny, but it is the Johnny Sprite for sure. Hmm. And then lastly, uh, car four, there's a bunch of men in their underwear. They're complaining that they're cold probably robbed by the thief from the previous car there's probably somebody out there who's done a full-on analysis of all the dialogue of all the characters on the train cars so i'd be interested and see that but that's not in the scope of what i was trying to accomplish here today and when you get to the end of the last car different from remake is that biggs wedge and jesse are all here they're not going to go ahead they're not jumping off but they have disguises so apparently the ID cards don't work. There's some shenanigans going on with that. But you can fool Shinra people by just putting on a fake mustache, as Biggs has. He has a fake mustache, a trench coat, a bowler hat. Wedge is wearing overalls, looks like a giant kid. Hmm. And then uh, Jessie is dressed like a Shinra elite. And uh, when you talk to her, she asks if she looks good in Shinra colors. And uh, you have 
option to answer one way or the other. I said, yeah. And Cloud follows up with, you look just like a man. <laughs> Jesse says, yay, I'm so happy. Dot, dot, dot. The dialogue pauses for a moment, and then she continues, I think? So uh, I can't imagine remake Jesse reacting that way if she was on this mission with us of like Cloud saying, yeah, you look like a dude. Jesse being like, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah, I agree with you. Anyway, so um, yeah, that's that's the the whole end of that segment. What you missed is they kind of the same thing happens here with Barrett and Tifa, and they all kind of prepare to jump off. Tifa's expressing like, oh, this is kind of scary. This is like my blood's pumping, and Cloud Cloud just says, why'd you even come on this mission? <laughs> and she does her like uh canned animation where she puts her fists up and gets into a fighting pose of like she's pissed at what cloud said so it's a nice little moment but uh one thing i'll note is if you're going through all the dialogue they all jump off like a solid 30 seconds of this barreling full speed train (laughs) moving they all jump off at different times to where they would be separated by several hundred thousand several thousand feet right sure yeah but when you land, they're all just right there together perfectly. <laughs> they all jumped off at the exact same spot. That's what you missed. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Nate. We run along the the train tracks and we get into some random battles. Um, there are grash trikes here. G-R-A-S-H-T-R-I-K-E. Um, they're small mantis-like bug, uh, reptile-like creatures. They do basic attacks. They also spray silk, which slows your party. Slow is a is a debuff where your ATB meter fills at a slower rate than it would normally. You also get into fights with rocket launchers. They hit much harder than grass strikes and take maybe two basic attacks to kill or one lightning spell. Yeah, the music here, they start playing a track called Looming in the Darkness. It's like a mellow, free-spirited jazz track. Perfect for poetry night at the back alley bar or uh maybe like the you know that investigative montage with the monologue in a noir detective film yeah am i nailing it in my description of where this track would fit perfectly you are it is it is noir it's got upright bass it's um got some eerie strings not dangerous not particularly dark but but definitely unsettling and mysterious i'll also note we're in the that corkscrew tunnel and if you go the wrong way you do it for like six screens you go the way you're not supposed to go you can eventually reach a spot where there is a end there's like a doorway guarded by two shinra elite guards cloud says we got to turn back they'll attack us you can still run right up to him and get in a fight. You will be in a fight against three red cyborg looking dudes. They're listed as special combatants and you can grind endlessly here if you want to, because once you beat them, Cloud will say, all right, it's time to run. And you have the choice to run or to stay. Uh, alarms will be blaring. There'll be people screaming about a avalanche terrorist attack. Two more elites will run out and you'll be in a fight with another three special combatants. So if you want to grind, this is the place to do it. They give good experience. They die fairly easily. There's three of them. So if you have all materia paired with a lightning material of some kind you can blast through them are they mechanical well the sprites in the world are 
humans, but it's those weird uh, Valdo. We talked about them. They're like the Valdo, lanky, kind of creepy looking dudes. Oh, yes. Yes, I understand. So when you get in the fight, it's three of them, except they're red this time. They're not blue. Um, okay. So, yeah, a, a little little stronger than the ones we met in the, the reactor. So we run down the tunnel. We catch up to a field of laser beams blocking our path. We notice that there's a utility shaft off to the side and Barrett pressures Cloud to slip down that shaft. He does, and of course when Cloud does, he's the party leader we all do. And so when we bypass it, we go into AC duct. I know Nate, Nate you said uh, you've had a lot of commentary about AC ducts and uh, over the course of this podcast. This is our... <laughs> oh yeah. Is it our first AC duct? No, <laughs> we've, we've been through a lot of HVAC stuff and we will continue to. Yeah, and I was just, I was curious that like wall of laser beams that we we're up against where... We obviously couldn't go through there. We had to go below the plate now. Is that the ID checkpoint they were talking about? Or is that some sort of like security measure of like the path is just completely locked down now? Like if anybody walked through those, even if they did have the right IDs, would they be incinerated or something? I don't know. I took those to be death beams. Okay, sure. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it for OG. And there's a lot more in remake for this segment. We're going to take a break here. Join us next time where we will circle back to the remake content of the rest of the chapter here. But before we part ways, I want to point out that a couple days after Nate and I recorded this episode, he sent me a screen grab of Final Fantasy VII original in which Cloud is standing in front of the laser beam barricade that we described just a few minutes ago in the episode. And Cloud's got a quote that says, those light beams are the Shinra's security sensors. We can't go any further. So uh, probably not the death beams that I described earlier. Just wanted to point that out before we go here. All right. See you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>